We uh, have uh, started a series called Idol Factory, and uh, uh, if you weren't here with us last week, I'll just kind of reiterate a couple things about that. Um, this is a series, it's kind of, and it's the first time I've ever done something like this, but uh, technically it's based around a book uh, called Counterfeit Gods uh, that was written by Timothy Keller. Uh, and uh, Keller, if you're not familiar with him, just amazing. I recommend just pretty much anything that he's ever written. Uh, he's a pastor out of New York City, uh, and he's an effective pastor in New York City. Uh, and uh, I say that because, uh, you know, that, that is not an easy place uh, to be a pastor in this day and age, especially uh, if it ever was, but uh, uh, just a, an amazing ministry that he has and uh, the things he's written and the ministry he does for other pastors and things, just really, really, really good stuff. But um, in, this, in this deal, the whole premise of this whole thing is, is you know, I, we had, we'd actually as a staff spent some time last year talking about a series, a series idea based around where we see uh, you know, idols, you know, idols being made all through Scripture, and I've got, you know, just tons and tons of notes on that very thing, uh, and, and in the middle of those notes, or toward the end of those notes, actually, I, I had written down uh, the name of this book, Counterfeit Gods, and, you know, Keller and all that, and uh, so, you know, I, I went to revisit, you know, these notes and this idea and the thought of maybe uh, doing a series based around this, and, uh, and in doing so, uh, I brought up, you know, oh, don't forget also there's, you know, the counterfeit gods thing. And, and somebody said, well, hey, why don't, why don't we kind of let that guide, could we do that? Like let that guide the series or whatever. And I said, yeah, hey, I've never done something like that, but, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Uh, and I'm not super great at teaching somebody else's thing. So, uh, you know, some of this uh, I won't, I won't uh, give Keller the credit. He wouldn't want it. Uh, and, uh, and some of it uh, he very much does get it, and I try to, try to, you know, point to, you know, something that he shared or said or whatever, and I'm even going to read a couple of excerpts uh, out of the book today as we're, as we're uh, studying through this. But, uh, you know, the truth is this, our hearts were made to adore something. Our hearts were made to worship something. God made us that way. You know, and if you, if you think about it, I mean, at, at all times in our lives, we're worshiping something. You know, the question is, what are we worshiping? You know, and, and so God made us to worship, but he made us to worship him, and he did that so that we would in turn get to know him better, that we would have a, a close relationship with him, that we would adore him. But the truth is, is that left to our own sinful selves, uh, our hearts will lead us astray and will end up worshiping something else without the help of the Holy Spirit every single time we will find something else to adore. And it might be a something else. It might be, uh, it might be love. It might be money. It might be, uh, you know, relationships. I guess that kind of falls with love. It might be power. You know, what, it might be a position. You know, and, and generally speaking, if we ask ourselves, you know, this question of where is our identity, if I ask you who you are, tell me about yourself, and you start answering, you know, with like a lot of us do, you know, well, I, I've got this occupation and I got, you know, and, and a lot of times, a lot of times when we answer that question, we're answering actually the things uh, that we worship, the things that we love the most. And in general, those things are generally not bad. They're not bad things. Jobs are not bad things. Relationships are not bad things. Uh, you know, possessions are not even bad things. 
Uh, in fact, God has called us to enjoy all of those things, but it's when we put those things in front of God as something that we love, then we've made those things what we could call an ultimate thing. And when we make those things an ultimate thing, and those become ultimate things in our lives, and you pull out an ultimate thing, suddenly we, can't, we feel like we can't go on living because that thing became an ultimate thing that was never meant to be an ultimate thing. And in turn, we feel hopeless, despair. We talked about that last week. We talked about the difference between sorrow and despair. Uh, had somebody come end of end of the service last week, <clears throat> and I first time I'd ever met them, and they're just being, you know, very transparent, and they, you know, they didn't know what else to say, and and I just looked at them, I said, "Are you okay?" And they said, "I'm in despair. I'm in despair." They were saying, "I'm having a moment here where I can't see any light at the end of a tunnel," you know, and and most of us have been there at some point in our lives. We've been in those moments where it just seems hopeless. Uh, It's not hopeless, okay? It's not hopeless, and the reason it feels hopeless is because we've made these things, good things, ultimate things, instead of allowing God to be the ultimate thing in our lives. Uh, This morning, we're we're, we're studying through uh, a passage that uh, may be familiar to you, uh, out of the book of Genesis. In fact, if you've, got a, if you've got a Bible and you want to get it out, go ahead and do that. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They're glad to bring you one. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to keep that one and consider it a gift. Uh, but uh, in this passage that we're studying today, uh, it's, it's a tough passage. It's a tough passage to read. I'll give you the, I'll give you the book of Genesis, and I'll, I'll wait to give you the actual chapter for a few minutes before we get there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've got a question for you today. And the question is, what do you want? What do you want? You know, I, I, that's, that's a question that, that uh, lots of us could answer. You know, m- most everybody's got something that you want. And, and, it may, and maybe when you hear that, maybe when you hear that question, you think of possessions. Maybe when you hear that question, you think of a position. Maybe you, hear, you think of a relationship. Whatever it may be, you're thinking of something that you want. You know, as a collector... Any, any collector, ask any collector, what is it that you want next? That's the, that's the collector question. Because if you're a collector, there's a, what do you want next answer, right? And so, you know, with anything, my kids, my kids can go into a store and they will say things like, they'll see something and they'll say, I have always wanted that. And it will be something that they have never seen in their lives. They didn't know until two seconds ago that this thing existed, and now they can't live without it. Right? What do you want? We want things. The question is, are we, and it's okay to want something, the question is, is, do we want it too much? Uh, We don't usually think that our deepest desires could be the worst thing ever to happen to us, but they can be. They can be. You know, we, we, we grew up, you know, being told dream, dream a dream and, you know, go out and, and do the thing, you know, find that thing and, and, and go after it and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But when we begin to search endlessly for those things that we desire, giving up and sacrificing for them in this thing that's called the pursuit of happiness, the truth is this, is it often times leads to being the pursuit of sadness. Let that resonate for a minute. Because if you really think about it, how many times in life have we really always wanted that? Right? And then, and then what? What happens? We get it. One day we get it, right? One day God allows that thing to happen. We get to attain it. We get to own it. We get to be uh, married to it. We get to uh, give birth to it. We get to whatever. I mean, pick your flavor. We get to get a business card with our name with it. Whatever. And what we find is that doesn't equal happiness. Does it? Isn't that funny? The pursuit of happiness really doesn't lead to happiness unless that pursuit is pursuing the Lord. You say, Chris, that's, you know, that's just a real easy Sunday school answer way of saying that. Yeah, it is. You know, but here's the truth. is Sometimes I think that we're guilty of overcomplicating things. Because the truth is, is that we know from Scripture that our joy is found in the Lord. And the truth is we know that God created us looking and seeking that joy and that He has it and that He created us that way because He wants us to have the very best thing. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to pursue Him. He knows He's the best thing for us. So why wouldn't He be pointing at Himself and saying, run to me, come over here, I'm right here, I'm your guy, I'm your boy, come, come, come join the, the family, you know, be a part of this, let me love you. Let me complete you. Let me give you purpose in this life. The second part of Romans chapter 1 is a passage where we see God giving people over to their desires. It's a dangerous place to be. Like we're talking about people who have, have just continually run away from the Lord and they have run and they have run and they have run. And, and you know... It, it, I don't want to get too theological about, you know, where they were and their walk with the Lord or knowing the Lord or anything like that. But somewhere in there, there's a dangerous place, and I recommend you study on it, where God will give you over to your desires if you continually turn your back on Him and continue to seek those things as ultimate things instead of Him. Keller says this says something will capture our imaginations, our heart's allegiance and hope, but without the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God Himself. If you really think about it, every story in Scripture is the rejection of idolatry, the fight to put God first. We too must pursue this in our lives. If you think about all of Scripture, all of Scripture, everything in Scripture is... Uh, the, is, a, is a story, you know, just a collection of all these different stories 
of the rejection of idolatry, where, you know, just all the way through, and sometimes, yes, it includes the, the golden calves and all that kind of craziness that, you know, we think about when we hear that word idol, because when we hear the word idol, you know, a lot of times we're not thinking about, you know, good things, you know, things in life that, that are good things that we've made into idols. We're just thinking about, you know, man-made, carved, you know, whatevers and all this kind of stuff, made of gold or, you know, whatever it is. And the truth is, is that it usually doesn't appear that way. It appears in us making great things, ultimate things, that we begin to worship, which they were never intended to do. This passage that we're studying today, Genesis 22, is a passage about Abraham. And he had a son named Isaac. And, and you've got to know something about Abraham, and that's that, that Abraham had always wanted a son. And Abraham was getting way up in his years, and so was his wife. And, and, you know, basically, you know, they had wanted a son, wanted a son, wanted a son, wanted a son. They were not having a son. And they had prayed, and somewhere in there, God had even made a promise that he was going to take Abraham, and he was going to, you know, uh, bless his people through Abraham's family, that he was, you know, he was going to do this great thing of, you know, carrying on, you know, the deal. But, you know, if you, don't have a, if you didn't have a son... There was no carrying on the name and all that kind of stuff. And you, got, you have to understand, and we don't even have time to go into the depth of, of what I'm about to say, but you have to understand that especially in ancient times, uh, you know, having a son was a big deal. Carrying the name was a big deal. And everything was staked on this, I mean, in such a huge, huge way. That, that I mean, it's like so, so deep in how that goes. That, I mean, basically, that was like your family's identity was your firstborn son and him continuing on the name and who he would be and what he would do and all of these things. I mean, you just put so much into that at that point in history. Abraham wanted a son. And uh, we have this passage in Genesis 22. God gives, God gives Abraham a son. He gives him Isaac. And Abraham at this point has, has been really faithful to the Lord and following the Lord and been very patient and, you know, all these different things. And, you know, God had begun to, you know, you know had, had, like I said, had already, you know, promised this, like, blessing of, like, what he was going to do uh, in the future through their family and all this. And, you know, they finally get the son that he's always wanted. And then comes chapter 22. Genesis 22 and in verse 2, we have this verse that has, uh, boy, rocked the, 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 the world uh, near, near and far. And in verse 2, it says, it says, He said, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God takes Abraham aside and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. What, what are you supposed to do with that, by the way? You know, as a parent, I'm thinking, do what? You, you, you gave me a child and now you want me to sacrifice the child? Like, don't we have some goats around here or something for that? You know? And, and this, is a, this is a crazy moment. This is a crazy moment. And as this, as this whole thing begins to play out, Abraham is 
faithful in listening to the Lord. Uh, He trusts the Lord. We see his trust in his actions. Uh, We believe that he believes that the Lord is still holy and good and sovereign and over all things. And and I think we see that again through, through his actions. But we see him work through this in real time. And in verse 6, we pick up and it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so they went both of them together. And so together they go up this hill. And together they're going to have a sacrifice. But Isaac doesn't know that he himself is supposed to be the sacrifice. Keller says, all the hopes and dreams of man rested in their firstborn. Abraham had already seen the debt of sin fall on his on firstborn sons. This is this in his head, Abraham likely believed that this was to pay the debt of his family's sins. So to, to even kind of go back to this firstborn son thing, you know, one of the things that you've got to keep in mind here is just that. Abraham has already seen in history at this point in his lifetime where God has used firstborn sons to pay the debt that was owed for family sin uh, if they you know, didn't do the doorpost and the blood on the doorpost and all these kinds of things. You know, again, this was a, this was a sacrifice. This is huge. Cra- it sounds crazy to us, right? So Abraham, in his mind, probably was thinking, Okay, God is, God is possibly calling in the sins of our family, and to do so, He wants my son, my only son. God had seen that Abraham had begun to make Isaac, in his heart, the ultimate thing. He had traded his affection for Isaac for adoration. You go, Chris, this is his son. You saying we're not supposed to love our kids? No, not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. But when we begin to worship our kids, that's a, that's a whole other animal. And in fact, that's not just dangerous for us, it's dangerous for our kids. It's not good for Abraham or Isaac, this never ends well. In, in the book, Keller, in, this, in uh, chapter 1, kind of talks through actually a, a situation that he knew about uh, with a lady who had always wanted to have children and couldn't have children, and finally she had two children. And, you know, her, you know, uh, very similar to kind of the Abraham thing. And, you know, then basically, and we've, we've all seen this, and it's easy, it's, of course it's easy to point fingers at other people too. Uh, you know, we've all seen this where we've seen, you know, maybe a situation where literally just being over-parented, you know, to the point of just like coddled and, you know, just, I mean, just all these things and all of this expectation 
and all of this, like, you know, and then when a child were to let a parent down in a situation like that, I mean, that, that's just huge. The, the truth is, as I've read through uh, this chapter a few times, uh, one of the things that stood out to me was that this is, like, really close to home with somebody that uh, I know and I love very much, just to be honest. That story, the story of, of two, two children, a family that couldn't have kids, and, uh, like, I, I know somebody, and I won't say, somebody super close to me, has been through that exact thing. And I can tell you this. When you make a child the object of your affection, eventually that backfires. Number one, they'll let you down. Number one, they'll let you down. They can't handle being God in your life or mine. They have to have room to make mistakes. Furthermore, if we overparent our children to the point of driving them, we literally will drive them away from us. The person in my life is close to me that went through something like that. The day they graduated, the very next day, they moved out of high school, gone, out of state, getting, trying to get as far away as they could from that situation. The truth is, is God was intervening in Abraham's life to keep something from happening. And we can understand, we understand, like we, or at least we can identify a little bit with like Abraham's desire to have this son, and then God finally gives him it. I mean, like, I don't, you know, I don't fault Abraham for falling into this trap or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's so easy to believe the lies of Satan that, you know, we make our lives about that, and that is a good thing. That is his son. Of course it's a good thing. But it leads to a bad thing. In verse 9, it keeps going. It says, And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your, your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Why? Why did, why did this need to happen? Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you think that God needed to see Abraham prove himself? Do you think that's what it is? Do you think God needed to see Abraham prove himself? I think sometimes that's kind of the way we think about it, right? We think about, okay, well, God, God's testing him and God wants to see what he'll do. Do we not think that God doesn't know what Abraham's going to do? So Why? Why put him through that, right? 
God didn't need to see where Abraham's heart would lie. He needed Abraham to see where his heart was. And his heart was with his son. He needed Abraham to have a moment to recognize the importance of what was going on and how this was going to be hurtful not just to him, but long term to his son as well. God didn't need to see what Abraham would do. God knew what Abraham would do long term. He's God. He could could know that. No problems there. He needed Abraham to experience it. And the truth is, is that in our lives, sometimes we go through the craziest of things before we realize what's really going on. Sometimes we have to be put into a terrible situation before we are honest with ourselves about where our hearts are, right? God does this for us. He doesn't do it to us. He does it for us. He allows us to go through things in life. Job, Keller points to this, Job 23.10 points to this in saying, but he knows the way that I take when he has tried me I shall come out as gold. I shall come out as gold. Gold has to be put through the fire. We, at times in our lives, have to be put through the fire for us to be shaken and realize what's really going on with our hearts. What's really going on with your heart today? I have no idea. But I I encourage you, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord with whatever is going on in your heart. Abraham trusted the Lord. He knew that God had the best intentions for him. And Abraham needed to see his need to love God above all else. Keller says this. He says, The Lord is saying, Now I know that you love me more than anything in the world. That's what the fear of God means. I know that you love me more than anything in the world. That's what the fear of God means. It doesn't mean that God was trying to find out if Abraham loved him. God was putting Abraham through the furnace so that his love for God could finally come forth as pure gold. If God had not intervened, Abraham would have certainly come to love his son more than anything in the world. And that would have been idolatry, and idolatry is destructive. We don't want destructive to enter in the conversation with the things that we do love, do we? That's not something that we're setting out for in life. I want to read uh, an excerpt out of the book if I I can. We're going to do this a couple times here. And it says this, it says, if Isaac had become the main hope and joy of Abraham's life, his father would have either over-disciplined him because he needed his son to be perfect, or under-disciplined him because he couldn't bear his son's displeasure, or both. He would have overindulged him but also become overly angry and cruel, perhaps even violent, when his son disappointed him. Why? Because idols enslave. Isaac's love and success 
would have become Abraham's only identity and joy. And right now, I mean, like we're, we're seeing that. We know people that struggle with that. We might be struggling with that. When you hear Isaac's love and success would have become Abraham's identity and joy, that resonates with us. Furthermore, he goes on and says, he would have become inordinarily uh, angry, anxious, and depressed if Isaac ever failed to obey and love him. And fail he would have since no child, listen to this, no child can bear the weight of godhood. Man, we don't see it that way when we're, when we're doing that, do we? Like We don't realize like what we're putting on a child when we do that. The truth is, is that it's not just through relationships that we do that. It's easy to fall into that with, with our families because we love our families, and that's a good thing. But what about a job? Would you follow God if it meant leaving money on the table? What if God, what if God called you and your family to do something? Would you do it? If it meant leaving that thing that you built or that thing that provides currently in such great ways for you and your family? God would never do that to you, right? <laughs> what about power? Would you give up power to follow God? Would you give up that thing that you have as your identity to follow the Lord in a different direction in life? What is your identity? If you can answer that, you're getting to the heart of the situation in your life of what the idol is in your heart. And the truth is this. The truth is, is that there was a debt to pay. A sacrifice needed to be made. Isaac wasn't it. He never was. And on that day, God provided a ram. But later on down the road, he'd provide another son. Another son who would stretch out his arms over the wood and give his life. Jesus was coming, and on him all debt would be paid. Romans 8.32 says this. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I'm going to read that again. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? I'm going to read to you again here. Because it's so good. Keller says, God saw Abraham's sacrifice and said, Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. But how much more can we look at His sacrifice on the cross and say to God, Now we know that You love us, for You did not withhold Your Son, Your only Son, whom You love from us. When the magnitude of what He did dawns on us, it makes it, makes it possible, finally, to rest our hearts in Him rather than anything else.
what God did for us is truly amazing. And I know we talk about it a lot. I know we talk about Jesus a lot. I know we talk about His sacrifice a lot and how He rose from the dead a lot and, and all these things. But I mean, folks, think, think about it. Think about being the parent. Think about being Abraham. Abraham didn't have to kill Isaac. He didn't have to sacrifice him that day. God never wanted him to. God was just trying to shake Abraham up in a minute, in a moment, and just kind of go, hey man, it's time to refocus. You've made it about him instead of being about me. God would go on to use Isaac to found nations of people. From their bloodline would flow, the promise would be true. And God would stay true to it. And if you think about the disappointments we've experienced in life, if we are honest with ourselves, the reason that they are so hard or have been so hard, those moments that we've had that we can look back and go, man, that was a huge disappointment, that rocked my world, the reason that those things were so hard is that they were often our Isaacs. They were our idols being removed. It's funny to me, we experience those things in life, and then yet we turn around and we do it again with something else, don't we? That's what we do. What we do. As the saying goes, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until he's all you have. And at that point, we're in a mess, right? When the Lord has brought us to our knees to be reminded that He's all we have. Because He just wants us to know He's all we need. God uses this family to do great things, but that could have never happened unless God had done this intervention. Unless Abraham had gone through this hard thing. I would love, I would love to just hear Abraham sit and talk about this as a dad. As just a person, you know, just, just sharing. You know, it's awesome to get to read it. I'd love to hear his take, you know. We'll get the behind-the-scenes documentary. And it leaves me to ask this question today. What is my heart's desire? What do I want in my life? What's your heart's desire? What do you want? I want to encourage you today to run to the Lord. I want to encourage you today to seek Him. Let Him be first in your life. Let Him guide you. Let Him light you up with life. Let Him give you the peace that only comes from Him. Let Him do a work in your life that, that you could never do on your own. Let Him use you for His glory. What do you want? I hope it's Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and we just we ask, Lord, that you would help us in navigating what life looks like. God, help us. Lord, we need it. We need your guidance. We definitely need your grace.
God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord, that would lead us to you. God, I pray that I pray we wouldn't have to go through those things in life, but the truth is we know that sometimes that's what we need. And God, I pray, Lord, that when we are going through those hard moments, God, I pray that you would do what you always do. I pray that you would carry us through them, and I pray that you would be enough. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to know you, to have a relationship with you. God, I pray for those who've never trusted in you. God, I pray that they today would believe. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in their heart. God, I pray that they would know that it's not guilt, it's not anything, uh, Lord, from me or us. God, I pray, Lord, that you, you would do a work in their heart, Lord, that they would, Lord, grow an understanding of a need that they have for you. God, it is truly amazing what you've done for us. And it doesn't escape us today, Lord, the chance that we have, Lord, to be a part of your family despite the fact that our our lives, our hearts are full of sin and we don't deserve it. But God, what you've done for us has made a way for us to come to you. And God, I pray that today we would be a people who run to you. God, save the lost. Guide us as believers. Use us for your glory. Make us light into your world. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.